things that are useful. I, if it was.
Mark chapter 2. This is just going to be a short series, just a couple weeks or so. We'll see how the Lord leads. And it's kind of a powerful passage in Scripture. And just for a couple weeks, two, possibly three weeks, we'll see how the Lord leads. We're going to be in this passage. We're going to be looking at this thought, impacting people for Christ. We're going to look at the example of these uh, a group of individuals in Mark chapter 2. Notice what the scripture says in Mark 2, 1 through 12. It says this, uh, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that Jesus was back home. And soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing, I like this, seeing their faith, the all-inclusive faith of all of these individuals, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, listen to these words. He says, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, but what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question in your hearts? He says, is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove, listen to these words, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And I love these words. And the man jumped up. Amen. Don't we have an awesome God? The man jumped up. He grabbed his mat and he walked out. Notice this through the stunned onlookers. I picture these scribes and Pharisees surrounding Jesus and this man kind of like just kind of barging right through the middle of them, you know, like almost knocking him over on his way out. And it says this, they were all amazed and notice they all praised God, explaining or exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this before. And God got the glory. We're going to look at this, this powerful story. We're going to talk about this story here for the next couple of weeks. And we're going to be looking at these individuals and how God used these individuals to bring this man to Christ. And there's some very practical things. But we're going to study some qualities that these men had that God used in a tremendous way to reach this man for Christ. And for God, obviously, to get the glory. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would bless your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me. Lord, for we know without you we can do nothing. Lord, it is awesome that we serve such a great God, an awesome God. That you are an awesome God, that you have the ability to do miraculous things. But may we never forget that the greatest, greatest miracle and the greatest act of the grace of God is forgiveness of sins. And that we can obtain 
forgiveness. And when we look at the story, may we not just look at the fact that he was healed of an illness and healed so he could walk again, but may we rejoice in the fact that the greatest miracle took place when, when Jesus said, my son, my child, your sins are forgiven. For that truly was the greatest miracle. That was the greatest miracle that, that took place that day. May we realize that that is what you are far more concerned about is the conditions of hearts and the conditions of souls for all eternity. So I pray that, Father, that your word would be real, it would be relevant. And, Father, I pray that as we study, Lord, your word, I pray that it would transform us, that it would change us, and that we would truly see what you have us here to do and why you leave us here and why each one of us is still here is because you have a purpose and a plan for each of our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I love this story. I mean, I love this story. One reason why I love this story is because it's a true story. Amen? This is not a fictitious story that someone told. This was an actual thing that actually happened. This was a true story. I don't know about you, but sometimes when we watch a movie, to me, maybe it's just me, but to me... When I watch a movie and I realize that it's basically, sometimes I'll say inspired by true events, which means about 40% of it is probably true and the other 60 is. But when you watch something that's actually inspired and is true events, I don't know about you, but doesn't that, I mean, doesn't that really just kind of get your attention? How many of you have seen a newer movie that came out, the one called 13 Lives? Anybody see it? Wow, you people do not get out much. Wow. <laughs> okay, go home and watch it. It's either like on Hulu or Netflix or one of them or Prime, 13 Lives. How many of you remember the, the mine in, in, in Thailand? Remember the soccer team? 12 players and a coach, 13 Lives. It's a true story. Let me tell you, you watch that story. It is powerful. It is amazing. And it is like unreal to, to see what they actually went through and to see all of it. You know, I don't know about you, you watch some movies and they're, they're fiction, so they don't really grip you. You're like, okay, this is just far-fetched. This is, no, this, this isn't real. But when you see something that's true and real and, and it really happened, man, that, that kind of grips you. What I want to share with you this morning is that as we read this passage and we're going to be studying what Jesus did here in this, in this passage of Scripture, what we realize is that this story is true, that this really did happen. In fact, it's recorded by three different authors. It's recorded here by Mark, but also Matthew and Luke also give their version of the same story. So they authenticate the fact that this is something that really happened. As we study what we'll see here is the Bible tells us that when Jesus came back to Capernaum, we'll speak of that in just a moment, but when he came back to town... After being gone for a few days, the Bible says a great throng of people gather at the home. Most likely, I believe, if you study carefully, it was the home of Simon Peter. And I'll prove that to you in a moment. So he's at the home of Simon Peter. And as he's there, a throng of people surround the house. And as the house is surrounded, we read the story, we know what happens. There's a man who's paralyzed, being carried by four other individuals, other men. And they're carrying him and trying to get him to Jesus, but they can't get him to Jesus because there's a, a crowd there 
that is not allowing him, them to get him to Jesus. That's, that's part of the sermon in week two or three, okay? But for today, what we see is this, is that these men brought this man to Christ. And we want to take a few moments here in a minute to look at some of the qualities. We'll look at just a couple today. Some qualities that these four men had that are essential to reaching people for Christ. But as I look at this passage, the very few things that really stand out to me at the very beginning is this, is that the Bible says as Jesus is there and the crowd is gathered, I like what it says here. It says that he was preaching the word of God to them. He was preaching the word. May I remind you of something? Just as Jesus Christ Preach the word of God. May I say that the word of God is priority in the house of God. That the word of God should be priority. That is not just getting up and teaching opinions or trying to, to, to speak in a way that's politically correct. But may I say this, that the word of God should be as followers of Christ, our final authority. That what the Bible says is important to us. I hope and pray that as you come and you gather, in, as we call it, God's house, but what I mean is when we gather together, that the Word of God should be priority. It should be the most important thing. It should be why we're here, is to get into the Word. Somebody say amen there. The Word of God was a priority. And boy, we could follow the example of Jesus Christ because when a, a crowd was gathered, Jesus preached the word. He preached it and he taught it and he, and, and he would take the scriptures and he would make it relevant and he would use parables and he would teach. And on this day, Jesus is teaching, Jesus is preaching and the crowd is gathered. But what is he preaching? He's preaching the word of God. The word of God is what changes lives. The Word of God is what transforms people's lives. It's not an eloquent speech, but it is the Word of God. For my Bible says that the Word of God is quick, it is powerful, and that it brings transformation. It's as sharp as a two-edged sword. The Word of God is what will change people's lives. Can I say this? No pastor can change a person's life. It is only the Spirit of God through the Word of God that will transform a person because it is supernatural. The Word of God is alive. Amen? It is what touches and speaks to our hearts and our lives. And so there are some qualities that we're going to look at, but may I start with this, and that is our Scripture verse for experiencing God is found in John 15, 5. Some of you will know it, but in John 15, 5, he says this. I didn't put it up there because I want to see if you're memorizing it. Okay? And so we're going through our scripture verse for week one is, is this. Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And he who abides in me, and I in him, the same will bring forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So as we begin this short little series, I want you to understand that if we want to impact people for Christ, that we can do nothing without him. Amen? We can do nothing without Christ. Now, are there qualities that God uses? Yes. Are there things that we need to have, if you will, to help us reach people for Christ? Yes. But we can do nothing without Christ. And Jesus said this. He said, I am the vine 
and you are the branches. If you abide in me and, and, and I in you, you will bring forth much fruit. There's three elements there. There's the vine. That's who? Jesus Christ. There's the branches. Who's that? That's you and I. That's us. And then beyond the branches, he says, then you will bring forth fruit. The fruit really is when we impact people for Christ. That's the fruit. Have you ever considered this? We understand. We, we get this. That we can do nothing without the vine. Sometimes I don't think we get that because we try to do it on our own. And that really doesn't work too well. But understand this. He says, I am the vine. Can I tell you something, though? Can, you, can there be fruit without a branch? There has to be a branch. There has to be a branch. You have the vine. You want to produce fruit. But in order to produce the fruit, there has to be what? Branches. There has to be branches. Who are the branches? You, we are the branches. Do you understand that God chooses to use you and I to bring forth fruit, which is really, in essence, to have an impact in this world. There must be branches. Or we could say it like this, as we were studying this week, that God accomplished His, His work through His people. God uses people to accomplish His work. That he, he, I know we don't like to say this, it almost sounds wrong, but He needs us. Because he chose to use us to do his work. That's why he calls the church his body. He says, you are my fingers. You are my toes. You are my hands. You are my feet. You, the church, are going to be my voice to this world. And so we can do nothing without him. And we understand that. And it has to be through his Holy Spirit power. I like what it said of Jesus, and that is this, is that Jesus spoke as one who had authority. That when Jesus spoke, when he preached the word, he had authority. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. And so when he spoke, man, things happened. And so we see that these four men are an example because they brought a man to Christ. And so what are some, what are some qualities that these men had to bring this man to Christ. The first one that I see is this, is that these men, they had conviction. They had conviction. They had, they had this conviction that we have got to get this man to Jesus Christ. Because if we get this man to Jesus Christ, he is going to change this man's life. They were convinced that Jesus Christ is the answer. That Jesus Christ was the answer for this person's need. May I say to you that I believe that many times the reason why we are not impacting people for Christ is because we are not thoroughly convinced even in, a, in our own lives. We're not really living a life of conviction knowing that, it's, that Christ can transform people's lives. These men which I believe it was men, based on what, what the scripture says, but these individuals, we don't know if they were best friends, friends, we don't know. But we do know is that this man had a need, and they said, we are convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that if we get this man to Jesus, Jesus is the answer to this man's problem. And they were convinced of it. Let me share with you a passage. Just It's one chapter back, but in Mark chapter uh, 1, look at verses 29 through 34. So remember in Mark 2, it says this, that when he came back after a few days. 
So what happened a few days before when Jesus was in Capernaum? Notice what happens. In Mark 1, this is like the very beginning of his ministry, right at the beginning. He hasn't even called all of his disciples yet. But notice what happens. He, it says this, after Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. By the way, Simon's home, it is right across the street from the synagogue. There's an old foundation. I've been there. And you can go into the synagogue. There's an old foundation of the synagogue. I've been in that synagogue where Jesus spoke. Right across the street, 40 yards away, is Simon Peter's home. They found Simon Peter's home and they had the excavation of it. And it's right there. And just about 100 yards or so away is the Sea of Galilee. By the way, what was Simon Peter? He was a fisherman. And he lived right there. And Jesus would get in his boat and he would leave and he would come back. So it says this, Simon, Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed and had a high fever. Here's a whole other story for you. But there's a lot of people that say Peter was the first, first like priest, first pope. Um, but they're not supposed to have wives. And somehow Simon Peter has a, has a wife here. Because the only way you can have a mother-in-law is to be married. Amen? And no one would choose that without it. <laughs> Ooh, I'll get myself in trouble. So in order to have a mother-in-law, you have to be married. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was sick and in bed and with a high fever. And they told Jesus about her right away. He was speaking. He was teaching. When he comes to the house, she's, she's sick. And she's laying on her, in her bed sick. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and he helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. How awesome is that? You talk about being healed immediately and quickly. She gets healed, and she, she makes a dinner. Man, I'm not even saying anything about that right there, because that could get me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> that evening, so what happens? Word spreads. This man performed a miracle. This man did something we've never seen before. That evening after sunset, many sick, listen, and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. You say, why are you sharing this passage with me? Because the Bible says this, is that when Jesus came back a few days later, as soon as he got to town, immediately the word spread. And what happened? A great throng of people, a great crowd of people gathered once again at this same home at Simon Peter's house. And they are listening to Jesus speak and listening to Jesus preach. You say, what does that have to do with the four individuals we're speaking about? I think it has everything to do with them. Because what I believe in my heart is this, is that somehow in some way they had an encounter with Jesus Christ. That they were probably the ones who maybe had a demon cast out of them. Or maybe they were the ones who were sick. Or those are the ones who needed healing. They were the ones who had an, an encounter with Jesus. And when they met Jesus, he changed everything for them. Somebody say amen. And when they had an encounter with Jesus, it changed them and transformed them. And they came to the reality that they were convinced that Jesus Christ was and is the answer. 
And so as they went back out and began to live their life in this new mode of transformation, as they have been set free from whatever it is that they were set free of, as they were healed of whatever it is that they were healed of, what happened is this, is they realized that, they, that, that Christ changed their life. And then when they saw an individual who had a need, who was paralyzed but had no way to get to Jesus, they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to find a way to get this man to Jesus. Why? Because we're convinced, we are convinced that if this man has an encounter with Jesus Christ, that his life too will be transformed like my life. May I say to you that I have had an encounter with Jesus Christ, that I have met Jesus and I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And the moment I accepted him, can I tell you something? God did something miraculous and amazing in my heart and in my life and I know that he is real do you know that he is real have you encountered Jesus Christ do you know him man and when you do you know that he's the answer and you will do whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus Christ that you will stop at nothing these men said we will not be stopped They were convinced. They were convinced that Jesus Christ had the answer to this man's need. That Christ could meet every need. Do you believe in your heart that Christ is the answer? Are you convinced that he has the answer to every person's problem? I do. He is the answer. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it like this. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, that's anyone who belongs to Christ, amen, has become a new person. The old life is gone. Listen to this. A new life has begun. Some some versions say that all is new. Can I tell you something? That when people encounter Jesus Christ and truly, truly know Christ, he transforms their lives, amen. And when you have encountered Christ and you know that he forgives sins and that he brings comfort and he brings peace and that he is, the, he is an awesome God that can, can do all things, amen? Don't you want other people to know that same Christ? This man had a need. And these men said, we have got to find a way to get this man to Jesus. And so they... Come up with a plan, and they carry him, probably put some poles into a mat, and they carry him to get him to Jesus. I see another quality that these men had, and I would propose to you that these men had a quality that's called compassion. That they saw this individual's need And they said, we're going to do whatever it takes to get this man to Christ. We may call it love, but because I'm preaching a short little series, I have to have every word start with the letter C, okay? (laughs) The first one is what? Conviction. The second one is compassion. You'll have to wait till next week for the other two, okay? But I'll give you a hint. They'll start with the letter C, okay? They had compassion. They were convinced Jesus Christ is the answer. But beyond that, they had compassion. 
They cared for this man. Do we know that whether he was a friend? I don't know. I don't know if they knew him intimately or personally, but they do, I do know this, is that they saw a need. They had compassion on the man who was in the, the situation and the circumstances he was in, and they said, we've got to do something. And so the Bible says that they were, if we will, they were moved with compassion. Let me give you an example of this. There's no greater example than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Notice some of these passages. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. It says this. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Notice this. When he saw the crowds, notice this word. He was, what moved him? What? He had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus was moved with compassion. Look at Matthew 14, verse 14. Matthew 14, 14, it says this, that Jesus saw a huge crowd. And as he stepped from the boat, he had what? Say it with me. He had compassion on them. And what did he do? He healed their sick. He was moved with compassion. Look in Mark chapter 1, just earlier than what we read today. In Mark chapter 1, it says this, that a man with leprosy came, and he knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. He says, if you are willing, can you heal me? Can you make me clean? Jesus, can you say these words with me? What? Moved with compassion. Compassion will move you. Compassion is something that will motivate you. Compassion is something that will get us out of our comfort zone to move and to do what needs to be done. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and he touched him and said, I am willing. And he said, be healed. And the Bible says that immediately he was healed. Immediately Jesus healed this man. You see, these men had a number of qualities that it takes to bring people to Christ. They were convinced that Jesus Christ is the answer. I believe because they had an encounter with Christ. And when you encounter who Jesus Christ is and you truly have a relationship with him, you want others to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And so these men were convinced Jesus was the answer, but it took more than that. It takes compassion. Compassion to move you to get involved. I think that you could say that these men had their own families. They had their own problems. They had their own concerns, maybe other circumstances. But they were willing, they were willing to move and do something to help this man. The book of Jude says it like this, and some having compassion, making a difference. They were moved with compassion Christ healed because he had compassion. It moved him. It motivated him. You know, it burdens my heart and it saddens me that many a times, and I'm going to say this as kindly as I can, but that the church has really lost its burden and compassion for a lost and dying world. There's an old gospel song that sings something like this. It says something like this. My house is full, but my fields are empty. 
Jesus said, pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers out into the harvest. I'm reminded of Jesus who gives the parable and the story as he was criticized by the Pharisees because he hung out with sinners and because he ate with sinners. And, and remember, they ridiculed him and they said, why do you do this? And Jesus, I love this parable. I love this analogy. He said, what about the shepherd who, who, who has 99, but he says he leads, leaves them on the hillside. He leads them in the, in the field to chase after the one. May I say to you, we as a church should be interested in chasing after the one. Amen? Having a burden... Having a burden for loss. Having compassion for those who do not know Christ. These men were convinced Jesus Christ was the answer. These men had compassion. It was a compassion that moved them to action. To do whatever it took. By the way, it was inconvenient for them. They probably broke a sweat carrying this individual to bring him to Christ. When they get there, people won't get out of the way. They're like the old Baptist. That's my seat. <laughs> I'll never forget this pastor in Columbia, Missouri. And I'm not trying to be mean because I'm pretty short, but we had a lady about this tall and she looked just so sweet and just whatever and she'd walk in with a cane and she would always, and by the way, she was an evangelist. She'd pass out tracks and all these little chick tracks and you thought, oh, she's just the sweetest, kindest little thing and she had her spot. She had like a little pill of her spot. One time, someone, a get, some families were get, visiting or something. They had no clue and they went in right to kind of where her spot was and man, all of a sudden, this sweet little kind, she's like, that's my seat and she like pulled like they thought she was going to hit her with the cane. You want to know something? Jesus had to deal with. That's my seat. You know, couldn't get into the church. They couldn't get into the place where Jesus was speaking, and so there was difficulty. But they were moved comp- with compassion. And they climbed up on top of the roof. And they dug a hole through the roof, ripped up the tile. Man, some of us have problems with that, right? They did whatever it took. Compassion, a burden for the lost, will motivate us to do whatever we can, humanly speaking, amen, through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring people to Christ, to get out of our comfort zones if necessary. Are you with me? And this is what was so powerful about this story. Because here's, this is what I want you to think about too. Let me ask you something. Jesus knew the heart of the people that were there, correct? He knew what he was about to do. By the way, Jesus could have, because he knew, could have said, hey guys, pause. I'm going to stop preaching for a minute. I need to go out front because you selfish people aren't letting this guy get into me. So I need to go out front and heal this guy. Correct? Jesus knew. He knew what was going to happen. Correct? Could he not have gone out? I'm sure Simon later said, Jesus, if you know everything, why did you let him tear my roof apart? 
I got to get him fix this thing now. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus said, it was for a point. It was for emphasis. Man, can I, there's just so much here, but we have a sovereign God. God's in control. And listen to me, he never does anything without a purpose. God's way ahead of us. And he wanted this object lesson and this illustration to do more than just heal a man. He wanted to forgive this man of his sins. Amen. And beyond that, he not only wanted to forgive this man of sins, he wanted to receive the glory because this is, the, this is what's amazing is that they said, no man, no man has the authority to forgive sins unless that man is God. And Jesus said, you're right. So I'm going to prove to you that I am God. What's an easier miracle to perform? To say to someone, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. And Jesus said to the man, get up and walk. And immediately he didn't just get up. The Bible said he jumped up. And he jumped up. And I'm sure if Jesus could, if he had a mic, he would have dropped the mic right there (laughs) and walked away. He says, I am God. And the Bible says that everyone there was amazed. And what did they do? They glorified God. The Bible says when Jesus saw their faith. You see, I believe it took just as much faith. Yes, it took the faith of the men to bring the man to Christ. But don't think that Jesus forgave the man's sins because of their faith. Because, by the way, that man had to have a lot of faith. He, true, must have believed that Jesus was the answer. Are you with me? Because he's already paralyzed, and he's trusting people to lower him down through a roof to get to Jesus. And so he, too, was included in that faith. Because at any moment, he could have said, oh, no way. No way are you lowering me down to the roof. No. When Jesus saw their faith, including the man's faith, amen, He says, your sins are forgiven. And by the way, not only are your sins forgiven, rise and walk. And God was glorified. You are branches, amen? You are the branches. You may be, I'm about to say something, you may be the only Jesus or only Bible some people may ever see or here. In order for God to do his kingdom work here on earth, you and I must be the branches. God uses his people to do his work. Amen? Let me read one story for you. True story. This past week, this was sent to me by a young man that I coached down in Tucson, Arizona. He wouldn't mind me sharing this, but this young man actually tried to get me fired. (laughs) Tried to get me fired. I've mentioned this in the past. He had nothing on me except for this, that I would have team prayer, that I happened to be a pastor, that our church actually sponsored the church team. We sent money to help the team because we felt like it was a way to be an example of Christ, and to love people. 
And so he, at one time in the past, actually tried to get me fired and complained because we had team prayer, and I made sure it was always student-led. That way I wasn't breaking any government laws. So they couldn't, they couldn't do anything to get rid of me. But I'm going to read you this text. It came to me through Instagram, on Instagram. Hey, Coach Joe, I know it's been a long time since we've talked. I hope you're doing well. I've been thinking a lot lately about things and, I would, and things that I would like in my life and about what is missing. I have never learned about God before. When I began thinking about going out to try to learn about God, it made me think of you. I'm not sure why, but it feels like it would be very uncomfortable for me to just walk into a church and listen. If you wouldn't mind catching up and maybe teaching me a little bit about God, I know this is a random request. But you're the only man of God I know, and I have great respect for you. Thank you. So I messaged him back, called him, started talking to him. A couple nights ago, we talked for over 30 or 40 minutes on the phone, connecting him with another believer, actually one of his good friends who recently, I shared not long ago, one of his good friends who recently also came to Christ. Um, sent some helpful videos, and so we're now excited because I know that, that God is working in his life. And he said, I always knew there was something missing. Now I know what was missing. It was God. Can I just share this with you? You know, when we're a branch and God, that God uses his people to do his work, it may not be standing on a street corner preaching a sermon, but it can be just including God in whatever you do and wherever you go. Because understand this, you are the light of the world, amen? And this world is a dark place. And even when you walk into a room, if you have Christ in you, you're bringing the light to this world, amen? And I only share that because here's the thing, I never preached a sermon to him. I just tried to just be there say a prayer here and there and just tried to be a light. And you never know a week down the road, two weeks, months, since like six, six years, but God's still at work. One of the realities, one of the realities experiencing God, the number one, if you remember, what is number one? God is what? Always at work. God is always at work. We just need to make sure that we're being sensitive, amen? That we're being sensitive. These men, they knew that God was at work, didn't they? They knew that God was at work. They experienced a work of God in their own lives. So what did they do? They saw where Jesus was at and where he was working, and they said, we're going to get involved in this, and they brought that man to Jesus Christ. You know what I believe? I believe in all of my heart that God wants to use every single one of you and myself to do his work. Amen. You are the branch. And we, as long as we are abiding in him, with his strength and with his power, we can produce much fruit. Isn't that awesome? What a great privilege. Praise him. Amen. Ain't God good?
God wants to use you. Ooh, that is awesome. You say, God can't use me. Yes, he can. God desires to use each and every one of you to have significant impact for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, we love